right. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. This morning we'll be in Psalm 90. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, just just 90 today. We will uh, pick up the pace next week. It was a short night last night. Let's put it that way. We were here pretty late, and so you're going to get a psalm today. Can we go over some of the slides, um, if you don't mind? I'm sorry, Aaron, to drop that on you. This uh, Friday is going to be the worship night at uh, 7 p.m. Join us for that worship and prayer. So no prayer tonight uh, on the nights or on the months that we do this. We do that quarterly. Um, we move that prayer the first you know, Sunday of the month that we do prayer. We do it that Friday with worship and all. So that's this coming Friday. Um, and then the next one was uh, men's breakfast. No Chris cakes. I canceled them. Uh, they uh, They sent me the contract. I was excited about it, but we were pretty much doing it all ourselves, and I thought, eh, no big deal. I don't want to pay them 500 bucks for us to make ourselves pancakes. So we we're going to do it ourselves, and have some. And, but Ken's still coming up from Grace. He's going to come up and teach for us. Um, and anyway, that's the 14th at 7 a.m. That'll be coming up. And I, that's about it, isn't it? Pretty much. Okay. Um, John uh, had brought up a good point. He had heard about the Jesus Revolution movie, and some people have heard about it, and some people haven't. And I'm excited for it. It's a, it, it follows Greg Glory of, of, well, formerly Calvary Chat. He's with Harvest and then uh, um, and Lonnie Frisbee. But um, it's about us. It's about Calvary Chapel and the Jesus movement. And so, so um, if you watch The Chosen, some of you do, some of you don't. The lead actor there, Jesus, is playing Lonnie Frisbee in the in this movie, and it's coming out this February. So, just want to put that out there for you. Um, it'll be in some select theaters, but uh, eventually when it comes out, we'll put it here and we'll have a, we'll, we'll watch it. But anyway, if you ever want to know the history of Calvary Chapel, I'm sure it'll be pretty close uh, to how we got started. Um, but that's, that's coming up in February. So looking forward to that. Let's see how they do. Uh, Kelsey Grammer from Frazier is going to be playing Chuck Smith. I thought that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. That'll be good. All right, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the, the, it is just a date, Lord. We know it's just another 24 hours, and yet there's something about it, a new year, a new start, uh, new beginnings, just things can, um, there's just that hope in us and excitement about the day. And so uh, we pray that uh, as we begin this year with uh, this fourth book of the Psalms, Psalm 90, uh, that you teach us and train us and encourage us and uh, help us for these next 365 days, um, that we'd be focused on you, worshiping you, living for you, um, drawing closer to you, and, and as we look back next year, that we'd see some growth, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. A lot of promises are made, New Year's resolutions and all, and I'm not opposed to them, I just, I'm not very good at that. I'm good at making the promises, I'm not very good at keeping the promises. And... Uh, some people start a reading program, you know, they're going to read through the Bible this year and all, and I think those are wonderful. I really do. Um, I, and, and, you know, then there's always, oh, well, I only made it three months in, and then I kind of failed. Uh, I saw a funny post just last week. He says, you know, there's still seven days to get in your reading that you left off with in Leviticus. And he, and he posted, like, you've got to read like seven books uh, a day, but you can get through it. You can make it. I thought that's funny. Here's the thing, though. You, you spent 90 days reading God's Word. I don't know. Nothing wrong with that. 
Um, so start and try and do your best and, and work on it. And then if you don't make it the next day, pick it up again later on and, and keep going. Uh, because every moment spent in God's Word, every, every moment spent with Him, is, uh, is, is it's, you're banking spiritual things. I just think it's wise. And so that you can't go wrong with those things. So make the promises. Step out by faith. Do those things and, and see how far you get. And, and then don't beat yourself up. You know, have a little grace for yourself. Um, it's important. Anyway, Psalm 90. Um, <laughs> this is a song. Remember this. It's a song of Moses. It's the only one we really have. He's got some in the, in the Old Testament and uh, uh, in, in, in some different locations. And we'll Google over, well, we'll reference one of those. Um, but Moses was, he's a songwriter, not very prolific, not like David or anything. But he wrote three, as far as we can tell. Um, including then the blessing of Israel and, and so on. But um, this one's written by him, and it's a little, um, well, it's a little sorrowful, a little bit, but I want to give you some background as to why. I mean, Moses was, he was gung-ho to be God's man at first when he was 40, um, and that's how he started killing the Egyptian and breaking up fights between his brothers and, you know, thought he was starting off on the right foot and then realized nobody really cared for him or wanted him to, to do uh, what he felt called to do. And so he leaves and goes into the wilderness for 40 years, dejected, you know, rejected. Um, comes back at the age of 80, very reluctant with his brother Aaron and, and so on to help um, lead these people out. Well, we're about in Numbers 20. If you ever wanted to follow Moses' life in this song, I would put it at Numbers 20, and you could read that. But here's a synopsis. So far, his his Sister Miriam has died, his brother Aaron has died, and he's already smitten the rock twice. And if you don't know what that means, that's what keeps him out of going into the promised land. It's the sin that prevents him from going to where God wanted to take him. Okay, So that's where this song comes from. So you can understand why it's a little sorrowful. I would be too. He's been walking around for... 30 plus years watching an entire generation of Israelites die in the desert because of their unbelief. And so he's feeling and experienced every day um, God's wrath, really. It's a slow wrath, but it is God's punishment for them not wanting to go into the promised land, not crossing the Jordan River as planned, um, not believing God at his word. And so he writes this song. So I put it in the category of those people nowadays that write songs, you know, about their exes that they never want to see again. I, I mean, God, he's not breaking up with God or anything, but it's like you spent a lot of time with a notepad writing about somebody you never want to have to see again, you know, kind of thing. And, and now you're singing about that person and hoping they're listening, you know. Um, a little bit of this is Moses working through some things, I think. Um, that would be very, very hard. I put myself in his shoes. It would be very hard not to get angry and smite the rock. You wouldn't mean to be offensive to God, but you sure are upset with the people for not wanting to be obedient to God. And so you misrepresent God in some way to maybe light a fire under him, you know, and God's like, I didn't ask you to do that. So I can, I feel him, you know, when I read this song. And I, I hope you do too, because I think we all go through these things. What I like about it, though, and what I hope, this, I, hope, I hope this helps with all of us, is that Moses works through it. He doesn't just 
that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I tried. I quit. I'm going on with my life the way it was before I met God. He works through it in this song. And now he sings that song. And it's a reminder to him. It's like an Ebenezer stone. Thus far, God has taken me. And he works through these things. And we do. Um, our walk with the Lord is, is it's like a marriage. It takes effort. There are ups and there are downs. Not on his part, for sure. He's always where he needs to be and always does what he's supposed to do. It's us that seems to fall out of favor and into favor and out of favor based off of our behavior. You know? But we work it out. We come back. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. We, we keep this relationship with God close. You know? And that's what Moses does. So without going any longer, let's get into the, the actual Psalms. Beginning in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever uh, you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's a great way to start off a song where you're working through some things. He starts off with a very important word, and it's to call God. He has, God has many titles, and he has many names, but he calls him Lord. And that is the only title we need to have a successful spiritual relationship with God. It has to be. We can call him uh, Jehovah Jireh. He's the one that provides for me. Well, when you do that, you're talking about a specific thing he did for you at one point. When you call him Lord, it's very personal. It's I'm putting myself under your authority. I'm letting you lead me. I'm following you. You're not following me. There's a whole lot in that one word, Lord. And so Moses says, Lord, you're our Lord. Regardless of what I think or how I feel or how I wish things were different, you're still Lord. I understand who you are. You've been our dwelling place in all generations. It's like we've never been without you. Now he's going way back to Abraham is what he's talking about. You've always been our dwelling place, a place to live. I live there. I prayed about this. I don't, know, I don't know that I have the words yet formed or the sentences I need to form to explain what I feel when I read that and understand that dwelling place of God. I'll do my best. But um, I am made to be in Him. I came from Him. I go back to Him. And I don't want to get weird and spacey, you know, about it, a little so spiritually minded that I'm, I'm no earthly good kind of thing. But I mean, you think about the fact when he says, I've called you from the dust, I pulled you out of the dust. And, I, and this gets a little weird. I'm just warning you. But you think about all the atoms and everything, all the matter that was just created in the, in the beginning, God spoke and everything came to be. Well, that was us. I mean, all he did was take a bunch of atoms from someplace, happened to be dust and form them into us and breathe life into us. And those atoms that were dirt are no longer dirt. Now it's JD. You know, don't call me a dirt bag. Don't, that's not. But now it, those atoms are no longer what they were. They're this. But when I die, they kind of just go back to what they were beforehand. In other words, I come up and I'm, the only thing that makes me different from everything else in the universe is the fact that God decided to make me. And I, that's who I am. When, when he says, I'm his dwelling place, everything that you look at, everything you see came from him. Everything. It all is a part of him. Now, some of it's corrupted and perverted and being used inappropriately. 
No doubt. I'm not saying everything that happens is of God. I'm just saying it's from Him. It came from Him. Nothing that exists in this creation that doesn't come from Him. It's all from His mouth. It's all from His Word. It's been corrupted, no doubt. But that's what it is. So when He says, you've always been my dwelling place, even before the earth and the world, it is. This is a part of Him. We're a part of Him in a sense. And I'm not getting new agey. Trust me, I'm not new agey at all. Um, but it's important when he starts this song to get his mind right, and we need to have our minds right, that you can be an atheist, but you are no less a part of what God wanted you to be anyway. You're a perverted, you know, messed up portion of it, but you're still there. You can't deny the fact that you live in his world, is the idea. This is his creation, and you're a part of it. And maybe you don't want to be, maybe you wish it was different, but you can wish all you want. This is his stuff. And we're him, you know, we're a part of him. Um, And so when Moses says this, I get this dwelling. You've always been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He just is just giving credit where credit is due. And I think that's appropriate. We're just blessed to be here breathing. It was his decision to give us breath. It's his decision to make us and to form us. You can resent him all you want, but it's still, you were his idea. And without his idea, you wouldn't be here. And so that's all he's saying is you are, you're everything to me. Um, In John chapter 17, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wasn't someone who was created like we were. He doesn't have a starting point. We have a starting point. We have a birthday. We have a gestation day, you know, a conception day. But then we have a birthday nine months later. Okay, but we were, uh, we have a starting point. Jesus doesn't have a starting point. That's very important for doctrine's sake. Jesus is God come in the flesh. He's always been. God's always loved him. He's always been with him before the foundations of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The idea of us has always been with God. The thought of us has always been with God. And he made us with the anticipation of us receiving him as his Lord and Savior. It is our choice. That is his hope. He doesn't desire the death of any of the wicked. He desires us all to have life. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, please know this at least. He wants to have one with you. He desires that. If you think you're too far, you're too distant, or you don't think he even thinks of you, that's the furthest from the truth. He knit and formed you together in your mother's womb. He has ideas for you. He has thoughts for you. He has plans for you. He has days laid out and written down for you that he wants you. He has good works for you to walk in. He's got things to do. Now, maybe you haven't been doing those things because you haven't been letting him be Lord. But let that be today. Let that start today on January 1, 2023, that you may make him Lord of your life and you begin to do what he wants you to do the rest of your life, living for the purposes that he made you for. I hope. Um, Verse 3. 
You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like sheep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up, and in the evening it is cut down and withers. He uses a couple examples of what he thinks we're like as people of God. God has turned over the nation of Israel at this point in Numbers 22 destruction. The entire generation has to fall before they can go in. That's the punishment. And the idea behind it is I want you to return. Now, it isn't that they're not saved. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're baptized, but they wouldn't go into where God wanted to take them, the promised land, a, plan of, a place of rest, a place of milk and honey. Um, his destination for them was never the wilderness, never just out of Egypt, but to a location. And this morning, I hope you hear that. He didn't just want to save you from your sins, although that is the most important part for sure to get out of Egypt. He does have a place to take you to. He wants to take you into the promised land. He wants to give you victory over battles. You'll have Jerichos. You'll have those Philistines in your life, spiritually, that you have to fight and do battle with. And he'll do the work for you. He'll do the fighting. But he needs you to cross the Jordan. He needs you to trust him. He needs you to follow him and let him lead you. He'll do the work, but you've got to be right beside him and do what he asks you to do. We're called to that. His heart for them is to return. Now, some people feel that when God's hand is on their life, for whatever reason, the difficulties that they have, that their sin has brought into their life, and God isn't letting them get by with their sin anymore, and problems seem to be coming up. You know, how come it's always me? How come they can get away with stuff, and I'm always the one to get arrested? I'm always the one to get caught. You know why that is? It's because God loves you. You're getting caught and busted because he's not going to let you get by and go unnoticed. I notice, you know. Oh, I wish I could have snuck back into my parents' house last night without them hearing, but dad was awake and caught me. Do you know why he was up? Because he's worried about you, because he loves you. Not because you had wronged him or dissed him, but because he loves you and he wants you to be safe and didn't know where you were and knows nothing good happens after midnight out there. Nothing. Our Father catches us in the act on purpose. He brings us and confronts us by design because He wants to change us. He wants us to be safe. The safest place we can be is under the authority of God. Always, always, always. The worst place we can be is out from under His watchful eye or His care on our own, protecting ourselves, looking out for ourselves. What a disaster that's going to bring on us. You let man come to destruction and say, return, O children of men. A thousand years, or in your time is nothing to God. Moses is just acknowledging the fact that he's outside of time and space. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find the, the cross-references. They're a little out of order this morning. That's okay. A little, a little grace. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. How's that? wasn't long pause. I got to it. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now Moses is leading up to something. The reason he brings that up is um, 
He's trying to show us, first of all, how short our life is. Um, that might be my next one if I can find it. The idea is, for one thing, time, space, matter all happened at the same time when God spoke. That's how we exist. You can't have one without the other. You have to have all three in place at the same time for any of those things to exist. You can't have time without matter, you can't have, and so on. When we are with the Lord, we're outside of time. That We're outside of this creation, time, space, and matter. We're with Him. That's why some of the things He says sometimes in the Bible are like, I don't understand that. What do you mean from everlasting to everlasting? Well, that's my best way of saying I'm outside of time. I've always existed. I'm always going to exist. There is no, I don't have a duration. You know, there's no expiration date on God kind of thing. But there is for us is what Moses is saying. At least down here, there's an expiration date. And he's going to say, we need to learn to number our days is the idea. Before we slip into timelessness, to be with him. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. I don't, I don't mind five-year plans. Rarely seen someone follow through on a five-year plan without some adjustments in that five-year period. So what that means is your five-year plan went out the window and you made a new plan. And God has plans for you. Now, I'm not supposed to, I, I don't want to wing it and wake up in the morning and just say, I don't know if I'm going to work or not. Let's, let's throw the dice of God and see what he tells me to do today. I'm not saying that. I'll go to work. Um, go do your job. Go do what you're supposed to do. Take care of your family. Occupy till he comes. But be open. Be open to what he wants to do. A different direction, a different habit, you know, ritual, routine. Those things can get us into trouble and miss some of the opportunities God brings us. Be allowed to be adjusted if he wants to move us to a different place. We can do that or a different different job or whatever. We can, we can be open to those things. Anyway, Moses is saying, time is nothing to you. Um, but compared to us, we're like grass that grows up and then die. But you're always here. You know, he's thinking. He's walking around in the wilderness. He's looking at the mountains. Yep, yep. God's been here before us. These have been here before us. And he's a lot older than these mountains. Then he's looking at the, the grass that grows up. After 40 years, you kind of know the cycles now. You know what the desert, all the desert bloomed because the rain came. And, and you figure all these things out. And so he's putting all these things together. And he's saying, you know what? We're, so, we're on this earth for such a short amount of time. It seems like forever. I mean, because it's the only 70, 80 years, 90 years that we have. And so it seems like all that we have to be concerned with. You think about how many people have lived before us. And that's all Moses is saying. Your time is short down here. What are you consumed with? What are your goals? Because ultimately the only goal that matters is where you're going to spend eternity. If you live your life for 80 years and lose your own soul, Jesus says, difference does it make if you gain all these things that anything this world has to offer? You gain it all. I reached the top. You know? 
But you don't have your soul in the end. It's gone. So he teaches us to be obedient. And that's his problem. As he works through this, we feel your wrath, God. I know you're God. I know you've been here a long time. I know we're nothing. And I can feel the fact that you're trying to return us to us. And I know that he's going to talk about anger and iniquities and all these things. And all he's, almost this is getting to is, I, I need to stop sinning. And all that is, let me even break it down further. All that is, is I need to stop doing what I want. I need to start doing what God wants. That's all sin is. Sin is going directly against what God wants to do in your life. What he wants for you, who he wants you to be, how he wants you to act. All these things are God's plans for you. And our sins are simply looking at those plans and saying, now we go do our own thing. It's just flat out rebellion. I'm not doing that. You're not Lord. I'm Lord. And Moses is just getting to, if we would just focus on the eternity, we'd be so, it'd be so much easier to be obedient today. Just focus on eternity. Verse 7. We have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they're 80 Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's upset. He sees a lot of wrath. He's seen snakes come through. That was where the pole was set up with the bronze serpent on it. He's seen Leprosy and his sister, Miriam, who's now dead. He's seen, he's seen a lot of things. <clears throat> the first time that happened to the nation of Israel, see, they've been crying out for 400 years in Egypt. God released us, set us free from this. And oh boy, did God really let them go because he, he hammered Egypt with 10 different plagues. And none of them hurt the children of Israel, but just hammered and hammered and hammered them. And the nation of Israel is going, man, it's good he's on our side. And they walked out with all the gold and the jewelry and everything the Egyptians gave them. You bet they had favor with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians said, take our wealth. And they walked out with 400 years of back pay, basically. And they're walking around the wilderness. And they realized with their first rebellion and God's wrath that followed was, He doesn't see them any different than the Egyptians. The Egyptians were punished because of their rebellion. The Egyptians were punished because they wouldn't follow God. They had all these other gods. The ten plagues were a direct attack on all ten of the Egyptian gods that they worshipped. There is no other god but me. No, no, no Nile. No, you know, goes through all these things with the plagues. And the nation of Israel is going, yeah, you know, get them. And then they're rebellious against their God and says, no, 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 no. You don't get to be rebellious either. And they felt that for the first time. So Moses is working through this. And all he's saying is, our life is spent 80 years of struggling with God. And it didn't have to be that way. Your life, my life does not have to be a downward, upward, downward, upward struggle with God. It doesn't have to be that way. The only reason it is that way is because I choose to be rebellious against God. 
That's the only time God ever pulls his wrath or his hand upon my life in that way. I get spankings from God when I deserve them. Let's put it that way. I bring it on myself. We all bring it on ourselves. There's no reason. I can have a mountaintop experience with God my entire life if I just walk with him. Only time I'm down in the valley and feeling distant from God is because I put myself there and walked away from him. Now we have difficulties, don't get me wrong. There are sins from other people that come into our lives and we feel those effects. And those can be valleys too. But with God with us, we have peace and we're still in green pastures and still lying beside still waters. We still have the Lord shepherding us and carrying us and we feel that safety and peace with him as we walk through these valleys of other people's sins upon our lives. My own sin, I have control of that. We all do. My walk with God, my relationship with him, I, I directly affect that with my choices and decisions. In Luke chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear, in inner rooms, will be proclaimed on the housetops. It refers to the secret sins we were talking about there in verse 8. There aren't any secret sins. You can keep them secrets from the person next to you, maybe. But God is very present and hears everything and is a part of everything. There is no secret sin with God. He's a very much a part of that. And it becomes known. It will all be revealed. Does that help at all? Knowing that verse? I mean, I hope it does. Knowing that you're not getting away with it, that it's public, And if it doesn't help that everybody's going to know because we're being taught by the world right now to not care about what anybody thinks, we're not not to worry about anybody else, we're to walk our walk and strut and put our peacock feathers up regardless and let our sin hang out and they can just deal with it is what we're being taught by the world. So maybe this verse doesn't have much effect anymore on a lot of people because they realize that I am who I am and I'm just going to be and do and that's contrary to God's word. Let's put it this way then, if there's another way to put it. What you're doing in secret, whatever sin it is, is affecting you. It is hurting you. You're outside of the will of God when you do those things. You're in rebellion against him. His presence is at odds with you. You have no peace in your heart because you're a child of God. You've got a father, and you can feel it, whether you know it or not, looking at you while those things are taking place, while that's being said, whatever the secret sin is, and it's hurting you. Maybe that helps you want to get rid of those secret sins. Not just exposure, the threat of exposure. Well, I don't want anybody to know. I better not do it anymore. Maybe just the fact that you know it's killing you. It's bringing hardship into your life. It's causing people of like mind to gather towards you. I don't think people understand that. When I walk with Jesus and I'm, and I'm solid, two things take place when I'm walking with God and I'm close to him. There is a blessed subtraction in my life of people that are not comfortable around that light. And there is a beautiful addition of people that are, that love God, 
And I'm getting stronger and built up and encouraged when I walk with God because other people that walk with God want to be around other people that walk with God. And those that don't, there's a distance and a separation. And it's natural. And you begin to hurt yourself because that builds upon itself. It adds to itself. My darkness with your darkness and their darkness and the darkness begins to gather together. It builds and builds and builds until we're so dark we can do a whole lot more things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Whereas when you're constantly surrounded by people that are following God, full of light, salt, you can't get by with anything with them. It goes the other way. You spiritually grow. You mature. Wonderful. I'm not saying you can't be around the dark, but bring the dark people into this light. (laughs) Don't join them. Bring them in. Let them feel that. They're gathered around the outside. (laughs) They're watching you walk. They're seeing that light. They're seeing that salt. They're seeing your relationship with God, and they see it, and they're looking in. They just see an invitation sometimes. Just bring them into your life. It's okay. But God hasn't called us to be dark, to be around dark. He's called us to be light and bring that dark here, which obviously it vanishes then. It goes away. We're called to that. 70, 80 years, he says. Now, at one point, we know that 120 was the years that we were supposed to live. That's the, what the biblical, but he brings this up, and it's interesting. And all he's trying to do is make it a point. You got 70 or 80 years. I saw in the somewhere, I don't know where it was, one of the social media posts, there's a calendar you can buy that shows the weeks of your life. And you just tell them when you were born, you know, and life expectancy of so much, you know, or whatever. And then they'll, they'll block off every week that you've lived so far. And then they put the rest of them that are not blocked off. And every week you block it off. But it, it literally numbers your days, you know, estimated wise, if you live this long, if you don't die, if you die of old age or whatever. And I looked at that, I'm like, I don't know that I want that hanging on my wall. But maybe I need that hanging on my wall. I mean, isn't that exactly what he's saying? Number your days. We number everything else in this world, but the last thing I think about is that I'm going to die. Everybody in this room is not going to make it. Nobody's going to live forever. And some of you are like, you know, You never say it out loud, but you're living like, I don't think I'm going to die. No, you are. You know, positive, encouraging Calvary this morning again. But to number those days and to think about that. In fact, um, one of the old timers, uh, wonderful men of God, what was uh, Spurgeon? He was saying, you know, if you want to have peace in death, you live a life thinking of death. If you want to have peace in death, you live a life thinking about that. Not like consumed, overwhelmed, anxiety, depression kind of idea, but the idea of, no, I'm, I'm not going to make it out of here. I mean, this, this has a, a conclusion and a new beginning afterwards. And am I living my life in such a way that I just pass on through that door into eternity with God? Or do I live my life like there's no transition that takes place? Like there is no accountability, like there is no hell, heaven, eternity. It's just I vanish, I turn back into dust again, and that's it. And someone else uses my atoms. We live that way. That's all Moses is saying. So teach us, and I think we do need to be taught. I think that's wise. 
Because it isn't, doesn't come naturally to me to number my days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because you'll start walking in obedience to God when you think that way. You begin to think that way. Most of us love to just put it out of our minds and ignore it. Binge watch something. I don't want to think about it. I don't want any quiet. I don't want any dark. You know, One of my favorite songs, because you care, um, is by 21 Pilots, and it's uh, Car Radio. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. You, you will probably not enjoy it, most of you people my age. I'm a little strange. It's a little heavy for some of you. But it, all it talks about is, and if you got to listen to it and understand it, but he's talking about how his car radio is broken, and he hates the silence in his car. Because that car radio blocks out all that time of thinking and silence, and it just can't stand the silence. I need that radio fixed. But he begins to talk about eternity. 21 Pilots is a really good group, by the way. If you listen to their lyrics, they're really reaching um, a lot of unbelievers and getting them to think, at least start to think. He touches some of the thoughts that go through their minds that maybe have not been acknowledged as eternal thoughts, you know, and he begins to do that. It's wonderful. Anyway, listen to car radio, you know, um, car radio, and uh, if you hate it, don't tell me. So, Silence. Thinking of eternity, the thinking of my behavior, the thinking of God in my life, and how it's so obvious that He exists. So obvious that He exists. To say that He doesn't exist is to simply be blind or choose blindness. Because He's so obvious, He's so present, He's so everywhere, all the time, making Himself known. Verse 13 Return, O Lord. Moses says, finally, starts with Lord, talks about how it's been pretty rough these last 40 years watching everybody die, a whole string of, I mean, every day, imagine millions of people, every day you've got funerals. And I, I imagine as you got down to the last hundred of that generation that needed to die before you went to the Jordan River and got your opportunity to walk again, you know, across, and you're looking at Caleb, and you're looking at Joshua, and you're looking at Moses, and you're... You're looking around, there's only like four other guys in that generation. We're close. We're close. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Whatever days are left is what he's getting at. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to the children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now he's fully aware that their iniquities is what's brought all this wrath upon them. He's not saying, boy, God, you're awfully mean. I hope you you get in a good mood one of these days. Some people read that, that somebody's saying. He understands where it all comes from. He just wishes that we'd be more obedient, that there be peace, that there wouldn't be that conflict between dad and his kids all the time, that there'd be some obedience and dad can come home and be joyful and not have to wonder what happened at home while he was gone. But there's this fellowship and this, this playtime, this joy. That's all I want. See, Moses knows what that's like. He's experienced it and he misses it. I think we all do want that, he says. 
I want you to satisfy us early. I want your mercy. I'm asking for compassion. He's not, he's not asking for um, ignorance or a blind eye. He's saying, I, I, I just need some compassion. We need some mercy. We want to rejoice and be glad. We're so tired of mourning, you know, and glory and beauty. God is beautiful. Everything about him is beautiful. In our relationship with God, it's always beautiful. Only time it gets ugly is when we bring ugliness into the relationship. It's the only time. He brings nothing bad into our relationship with him. Only good. So if I'm, a, oh, I, I, I'm having a spiritual dry time, that's not him. He's not being dry. He's wet. I mean, like all the time. We're the ones that bring the dryness to our walk with God. And oftentimes it comes from disobedience. And then we try to have Christianity and bring in the Bible and go to church and do what we're supposed to do and still have our sin. And we can't figure out why we're not getting anything out of church, why the Bible's boring. I don't understand any of it, but I'm living in sin. That's got to go. There's got to be some love. I, I hate doing things that causes the love of my life, God, to be hurt or to be sorrowful or to be angry. I don't want to do anything like that because I love him, not because I'm afraid he's going to smash me, but I love him. And so I naturally walk away from those things. The fact that you think you can go out on Friday night with your sin and worship him on Sunday is offensive. It's spiritual adultery. And can't figure out why I don't enjoy my time with him when I've out been frolicking with this guy over here, whatever this is, of course you can't enjoy that intimacy with him. Of course you can't. It's us. And so Moses is just bringing it full circle here, 13 through 17. Just return to us. Have compassion, have mercy. That's apologies. That's what he's doing. He's asking for, I'm sorry that we're like this. Would you give us mercy? Because I know that I'm wrong and that I deserve to be judged, but I'm asking for mercy. He's acknowledging it all. In John chapter 6, verses 67 through 69, this is our final cross-reference. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? If you remember the story, there were 70 disciples, and he says, you want to eat? my flesh and drink my blood. He was talking about communion, the bread and the wine. Threw him for a loop. And they all went, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And they walked away. But the 12 were sitting there. Now they didn't get it any better than the other guys did. They were as confused. But Peter just kind of sat there going, hmm. He knew from experience, if we sit around here long enough, he'll explain what he meant, even though we're very confused right now and I do not want to eat his body and flesh and blood. Not interested. So he looks at these guys, the 12 that stick around, still not knowing, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, good way to start. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, you're the Savior, the Son of the living God. In this next year, if you have any doubts, if you come across funny scriptures or you have funny thoughts in your head, at least start with this, that these 12 knew. I don't understand the text, maybe. I'm not sure why I'm having these funny thoughts, but I do know this. You are Lord of my life. Know that. I also know that you're the Christ and the Savior. And I also know I don't have any place else to go. There is no plan B. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit here, and they do. And by the way, in that section, the next chapter, he explains, this is my body. This is my blood. As often as you eat and drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And there was a big sigh of relief, by the way, at that point. Oh, thank you for explaining that. Got it. God will give you that knowledge. As you run into scriptures that you don't understand this year, as you're reading through the Bible, because you're going to do it, and you come across some of the funny scriptures that I could mention to you, you know. You keep going through scripture, God will interpret it for you. Scripture interprets scripture. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher and guide. And he'll let you not understand. And then you dig a little bit further and you do a little more research and you do maybe a word search in the scriptures. And there's wonderful apps for that now. Amazing power we have. Through this, this dumb little phone here, I can just type in one word, compassion, and every verse in the Bible that mentions compassion, I can read through them all and get a wonderful understanding of it. In context, in different locations, you can do that, and God will interpret for you and explain to you. Just know this, he's Lord. Let him be Lord of your life. And so I want to conclude with that. If there's anybody here that doesn't know the Lord personally, hasn't made him their Lord of their life, Savior, hasn't believed on him for salvation, I hope you do this morning. And I'm going to pray an example prayer of that, and you can follow along, pray with me. God just wants to hear from you. He doesn't want you to parrot what I say, but you're welcome to and mean it from your heart, but he wants to hear from you. As broken as it is, I don't know how to pray to God. Perfect. That's exactly what he wants to hear. Pray with me. Lord, (laughs) we want you to be Lord of our lives. We commit our lives to you this morning. We know that our rebellion, our sins have separated us from you, that you've got a plan for us, you had thoughts for us, you had a whole life plan for us, and we left that and went and did our own thing and sinned against you. Knowing that we couldn't make up for all the wrongs that we did to you, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. All the wrath that was intended for us because of all of our rebellion was placed upon your son. He became sin for us and died on the cross. He was buried and rose again three days later, meaning it was an accepted sacrifice for our sins. And we believe that this morning. We accept that. We want to make you Lord of our lives. Lord, In John 3, it tells us we've got to be born again. We want that. We want our spirit revived. We want to be able to have that fellowship with you because you're looking for those who worship you in spirit and truth. We want that. Take our lives, Lord. Let it be consecrated unto you, set apart for you, that we would walk with you from here on out for the rest of our lives. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us peace with you. Thank you for taking away your wrath, forgiving us of our sins. And then showing us and accepting us a, this new path for us, this new road that you have for us. It's always been your plan. Help us to walk on it. Stay faithful. To stay planted right in the middle of that road. We pray that you carry us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.